Hello and welcome to Speaking of Wounds, brought to you by the Wound Care Learning Network. I'm Dr. Laura Swoboda and today we're talking about debridement, a fundamental principle of wound treatment. So looking at why we debride, debridement is a core component of a comprehensive wound treatment plan. It's outlined in most wound treatment models for wound bed preparation. This is because delayed debridement delays healing time and places the patient at risk for negative outcomes, including infection, sepsis, osteomyelitis, hospitalization, and amputation. Inadequate debridement potentiates the inflammatory environment of chronic wounds due to the continued presence of necrotic tissue, proteolytic enzymes, inflammatory cytokines, and bacterial biofilm. The capillary exposure that occurs during some forms of debridement reinitiates the healing cascade and assists with transitioning wounds out of the inflammatory stage and back onto a healing trajectory. A thorough surgical debridement can remove senescent cells, preventing the senescence-associated secretory phenotype positive feedback loop that can be prominent in disease states like diabetes. Surgical debridement also prepares the wound bed for other advanced interventions, including negative pressure wound therapy and cellular and or tissue-based products such as xenografts and allografts. Looking at who we don't debride, so debridement is a standard of care, but there are patient presentations where debridement is contraindicated, including stable eschar on ischemic limbs, malignant tumors, and wounds that are at risk of pathergy. The impaired blood flow that accompanies lower extremity arterial disease can prevent wounds from healing and leaves them vulnerable to infection. In some patients, an eschar will form over ischemic wounds, which can be left intact, providing it is stable. It's important to note the definition of stable eschar. Stable eschar is completely dry eschar without evidence of infection. Eschar that is weeping, lifting, or surrounded by urethema is unlikely to be stable, and the risk of infection that it poses is greater than the risk of debridement in most cases. A good rule of thumb is to not sharp debride fungating tumors. A simplistic definition is that cancer is dysfunctional cell death and cell replication at baseline, and encouraging cell replication through capillary exposure initiates the healing cascade and could encourage tumor growth. Conservative sharp debridement is sometimes performed on fungating tumors to remove frank necrosis with the intention of minimizing bio burden and its associated odor. If suspicion of malignancy within a wound exists, sharp debridement should be held until the results of a wound biopsy are available. Clinicians who perform surgical debridement and observe pathergy should be suspicious of an underlying disease state or an alternative pathology. Pathergy is a phenomenon where even minor trauma can lead to an acute exacerbation, including wound enlargement. It can occur in disease states, uh, including untreated calcific uremic arteriopathy, which is also known as calciphylaxis, and pyoderma gangrenosum. Surgical debridement is typically avoided until the underlying disorder is treated. Sharp debridement is the fastest method of debridement and is used to rapidly remove material from the wound bed. Sharp debridement can be divided into surgical and conservative sharp debridement. Both surgical and conservative sharp wound debridement utilize tools such as scalpels, curettes, irises, tissue nippers to remove material from wounds. Conservative sharp debridement differs from surgical debridement in that the intent is to only remove non-viable tissue, and in doing so, 
the wound specialist would cause neither bleeding nor pain. Conservative sharp debridement can minimize necrotic tissue and its associated bioburden in wounds, but it does have its limitations. Wounds with epiboly require sharp debridement to remove the epithelialized edges. And acutely infected wounds benefit from surgical debridement to rapidly remove those infectious materials. Using sharp debridement in this way, surgical debridement acts as a form of infection source control. Patient-reported pain can limit the use and extent of surgical debridements that are performed outside of the operating room. So to optimize debridement, clinicians can utilize technique that prioritizes tissue depths and locations that have less sensory nerve fibers. To do this, you begin in the center of the wound where tissue loss is often deepest and debride the wound edges at the end of the procedure where pain can be at greatest. If the patient requests cessation of the procedure due to pain, more of the wound bed has been treated. Due to the low risk of conservative sharp debridement, you don't need to be a provider to perform this procedure. But wound nurses should consult their state nurse practice acts and their institutional policies. Conservative sharp wound debridement should only be performed by wound specialists with documentation that references appropriate didactic and clinical education as well as demonstrated competence. So with projected shortages of providers, specialists, and nurses, all wound specialists should be educated and trained in conservative sharp debridement to increase patient access to this important component of wound care. When we're looking at non-instrumental debridement, there are multiple other forms that exist, including micellar surfactants, enzymatic, maggot larval, which is also known as biosurgical, chemicals such as desiccants and sodium hypochlorite, hydrotherapy, mechanical debridement such as microfiber pads, wet-to-dry gauze, ultrasound, and dressings that facilitate autolysis. Non-surgical modalities of debridement can be used either as standalone interventions or in concert with sharp debridement to continue that debridement in between visits. Uh, These modalities vary in the tissue depth that's removed, the expected procedural pain, speed, cost, and whether or not they assist in the removal of biofilm. Wet-to-dry dressings are usually avoided due to their non-selective nature, so they also remove healthy tissue. Um, They're associated with significant pain, and they also have the potential for inflammatory potentiation. This occurs when fibers from the gauze are left in the wound bed. Sodium hypochlorite, which is also known as Dakin solution, is a controversial agent. It's typically reserved for severely infected wounds due to its negative effects on fibroblasts and the availability of less cytotoxic options to decrease the microbial count, such as hypochlorous acid. At higher strength, Dakin solution does impact collagen, so that is why it had historically been used as a debriding agent, but there are better options out there. Silver nitrate is a commonly used chemical debridement agent. Uh, I routinely use it for hypergranulation tissue, especially peristomal hypergranulation tissue to help with pouch adherence. And it can be effective when used for very mild epiboly. So clinicians can choose amongst these available debridement options. And they're often used in combination and modified as the wound bed presentation changes. In conclusion, debridement is a standard of care for non-palliative wound patients. And having knowledge and access to the myriad of debridement modalities allows the wound specialist to select appropriate therapies 
for the patient in consideration of the varied clinical presentations, comorbidities, pain, the treatment setting, as well as the goals of care.